Hello, I'm going to read The Doll's House by Catherine Mansfield. One dear old Mrs Hay went back to town after staying with the Bernards. She sent the children a doll's house. It was so big that the carton pack carried it into the courtyard and there it stayed, propped up on two wooden boxes beside the pool room door. No harm could come of it. It was summer. And perhaps the smell of paint would have gone off by the time it had to be taken in. For really, the smell of paint coming from the doll's house sweet to the touch of old Mrs. Hay, of course, most sweet and generous. But the smell of paint was quite enough to make anyone seriously ill in Aunt Beryl's opinion, even before the satin was taken off. And when it was, oh, there stood the doll's house, a dark, oily spinach green, picked out with bright yellow. Its two solid little chimneys, glued onto the roof, were painted red and white, and the door, gleaming with yellow varnish, was like a little slab of toffee. Four windows, real windows, were divided into panes by a broad streak of green. There was actually a tiny porch too, painted yellow with big lumps of congealed paint hanging along the edge. But perfect, perfect little house. Who could possibly mind the smell? It was part of the joy, part of the newness. Open it quickly, someone. The pocket beside was packed tight. Pat tried to open with his penknife, and the whole houseful swung back, and there you were, gazing at one and the same moment into the drawing room, and dining room, the kitchen, and two bedrooms. That is the way for a house to open. Why don't all houses open like that? How much more pleasant and peering through the slit of a door into a mean little hall with hat-standing two umbrellas. That is, isn't it, what you long to know about the house when you put your hand on the knocker? Perhaps it is the way God opens houses at dead of night when he is taking a quiet turn with an angel. Whoa! The burning children! Sounded as though they were in despair. It was too marvellous. It was too much for them. They had never seen anything like it in their lives. All the rooms were painted. There were pictures on the walls, painted by them paper with gold frames and paint. Red carpet covered all the floors except the kitchen. Red plush chairs in the drawing room. Green in the dining room, tables, beds with real bed frames, a cradle, a stove, a dresser with tiny plates and one big jug. But what Claudia liked more than anything, what she liked frightfully, was the lamp. It stood in the middle of the dining room table, an exquisite little amber lamp with a white glow. 
It was Susie staring, all ready for lighting. Though of course she couldn't light it. But there was something inside that looked odd and moved when you shook it. The father, another brain. He sprawled very sick, though they had fainted in the door as though they had fainted in the drawing room. And their two little children, sleep upstairs were really too big for the boy's house. They didn't look as though they belonged. But the lamp was perfect. It seemed to smile to Kevin, to say, I love you. The lamp was real. The Burnell children could hardly walk to school fast enough the next morning. They burned to tell everybody, to describe, to well, to boast about their girl's house before the school bell rang. I'm to tell, said Isabel, because I'm the oldest. And you keep too, you can join in after, but I'm to tell first. There was nothing to answer. Isabel was bossing, but she was always right. And Lottie and Kevin knew too well the powers that went before them. They brushed through the thick of buttercups at the road edge and said nothing. And I'm to choose who's to come and see it first. Mother said I might. For it had been arranged that while the Bellhurst stood in the courtyard, they might ask the girls at school, two at a time, to come and look. Not to stay for tea, of course, or to come traipsing through the house, but just to stand quietly in the courtyard while Isabel pointed out the beauty, and Lottie and Kevin looked pleased. But hurry as they might, by the time they had reached the stern tidings of the boys' playground, the bell had begun to jingle. They had only just time to whip off their hats and fall into line before the roll was called. Never mind, Isabel tried to make up for it by looking very important and mysterious. With a hand behind the back, she whispered to the girls near her, got something important to tell you at playtime. Playtime came, and Isabel was surrounded. The girls of her class nearly fought to put their arms around her, to walk away with her, to bloom flatteringly to be her special friend. She held quite a court under the huge pine trees at the side of the playground, nudging, giggling together. The little girls pressed up close, and the only two who stayed outside the room were the two who were always outside, the little Calvins. They knew better than anywhere near the Greenhouse. the Burnell children went to was not at all the kind of place their parents would have chosen if there had been any choice. But there was none. It was the only school for miles. And the consequence was all the children of the neighbourhood, the judge's little girls, 
the doctor's daughters, the storekeeper's children, the milkman's, the force to mix together. Not to speak of there being an equal number of rude, rough-looking boys as well. But the line had to be drawn somewhere. It was drawn at the Calvary. Many of the children, including the Bernays, were not allowed even to speak to their parents. They walked past the Calvaries with their heads in the air, and as they set the fashion in all matters of behaviour, the Calvaries were shunned by everybody. Even the teacher had a special voice for them and a special smile for the other children when Lord Calvary came up to her desk with a bunch of dreadfully common-looking flowers. They were the daughters of a spry, hard-working little washerwoman who went about from house to house by the day. This was all funny. But where was Mr. Calvary? Nobody knew for certain. What everybody said, he was in prison. <clears throat> so, they were the daughters of a washerwoman and a jailbird. Very nice company for other people's children. And they looked it. Why Mrs. Calvary made them so conspicuous was hard to understand. The truth was, they were dressed in bits given to her by the people for whom she worked. Little Brewster, who was a stout, plain child with big freckles, came to school in a dress made from a green art serge tablecloth of the Bernals, with red plush sleeves from the Logan's curtains. Her hat, perched on top of her high forehead, was a grown-up woman's hat, once the property of Miss Leckie, the postmistress. It was turned up at the back and trimmed with a large scarlet cord. What a little guy she looked. It was impossible not to laugh. And her little sister, our Alf, wore a long white dress, rather like a nightgown, and a pair of little boy's boots. But whatever our Alf wore, she would have looked strange. She was a tiny, Wishbone of a child, with cropped hair and enormous, solid eyes, a little white owl. Nobody had ever seen her smile. She scarcely ever spoke. She went through life holding on to Lil, with a piece of Lil's skirt screwed up in her hand. Where Lil went, our house followed. In the playground, on the road, going to and from school, there was Lil, marching in front, and our house holding on behind. Only when she wanted anything, or when she was out of breath, our house gave Lil a tug, a twitch, and Lil stopped and turned round. The Calvies never failed to understand each other. Now, they hovered at the edge. You couldn't stop them listening. When the little girls turned round and sneered, Lil, as usual, gave her silly, shamefaced smile. But our house only looked a 
and Isabel Holmes. They very proud went on telling. The carpet made a great sensation, but so did the beds with real bedclothes and the stove with an oven door. When she finished, finished, Kezia broke in. You've forgotten the lamp, Isabel. Oh yes, said Isabel, and there's a teeny little lamp, all made of yellow wood, with a white robe that stands on the dining room table. You couldn't tell it from a real one. The lamp's best of all, cried Kezia. She thought Isabel wasn't making half enough for the tea. But nobody paid any attention. Isabel was choosing for two for them to come back with them that afternoon and see. She chose Emmy Cole and Lena Logan. But when the others knew they were all to have a chance, they couldn't be nice enough to Isabel. One by one, they put their arms round Isabel's waist and walked her off. They had something to whisper to her, a secret. Isabel's my friend. Only the little characters moved away forgotten. There was nothing more for them to hear. Days passed, and as more children saw the doll's house, the fame of it spread. It became the one subject, the rage. The one question was, have you seen Burnell's doll's house? Oh, ain't it lovely? Haven't you seen it? Oh, I say. Even the dinner hour was given up to talking about it. The little girls sat under the pines eating their thick mutton sandwiches and big slabs of johnny cake spread with butter. While always, as near as they could get, sat the cowboys, our elves holding on to live listening too, while they chewed their jam sandwiches out of a newspaper soaked with large red blobs. Who's there? said Kezia. Can't I ask the Calvies just once? Certainly not, Kezia. But why not? Run away, Kezia. You know quite well why not. At last, Everybody had seen it except them. On that day, the subject rather flagged. It was the dinner hour. The children stood together under the pine trees, and suddenly, as they looked at the cows eating out of their paper, always by themselves, always listening, they wanted to be horrid to them. Emmy Cole started. Lil Cow is going to be a servant when she grows up. Ooh, how awful, said Isabel Burnell, and she made eyes at Emmy. Emmy swallowed in a very meaning way and nodded to Isabel as she'd seen her mother do on those occasions. It's true, it's true, it's true, she said. Then, Lena Logan's little eyes snapped. Shall I ask her? She whispered. Bet you don't, said Jessie Mare. I'm not frightened, said Lena. Suddenly, she gave a little squeal 
and danced in front of the other girls. Watch me, watch me, watch me now, said Luna. And sliding, gliding, dragging one foot, giggling behind her hand, Luna went over to the cow feet. Mill looked up from her dinner. She wrapped the rest quickly away. Our house stopped chewing. What was coming now? Is it true you're going to be a servant when you grow up, Lil Calvi? shrilled Lena. But instead of answering, Lil only gave her silly, shame-faced smile. She didn't seem to mind the question at all. What a sell for Lena. The girls began to titter. Lena couldn't stand that. She put her hands on her hips. She shot forward. Yeah, your father's in prison, she hissed spitefully. This was such a marvellous thing to have said that the little girls rushed away in a bubble, deeply, deeply excited, wild with joy. Someone found a long rope and they began skipping it. And never did they skip so far, run in and out so fast, or do such things as on that morning. In the afternoon, Pat called for the Burnell children with the buggy, and they drove home. There were visitors. Isabel and Lottie, who liked visitors, went upstairs to change their pinafores. But Kezia seemed out at the back. Nobody was about. She began to swing on the big white gates of the courtyard. Presently, looking along the road, she saw two little dots. They grew bigger. They were coming towards her. Now she could see that one was in front and one close behind. Now she could see that they were the Calvins. Kezia stopped swinging. She slipped off the gate as if she was going to run away. Then she hesitated. The Calvies came nearer, and beside them walked their shadows, very long, stretching right across the road with their heads in the buttercups. Kezia clambered back on the gate. She had made up her mind. She swung out. Hello, she said to the passing Calvies. They were so astounded that they stopped. Lil gave her silly smile. Arrow stared. You can come and see our doll's house if you want to, said Kezia, and she dragged one toe on the ground. But at that, Lil turned red and shook her head quickly. Why not? asked Kezia. Lil gasped. Then she said, Your ma told our ma you wasn't to speak to us. Oh well. She didn't know what to reply. It doesn't matter. You can come and see our doll's house all the same. Come on, nobody's looking. But Lil shook her head still harder. Don't you want to? asked Kezia. Suddenly there was a twitch, a tug at Lil's skirt. She turned round. 
Our Alice was looking at her with big, imploring eyes. She was frowning. She wanted to go. For a moment, Neil looked at our Alice very doubtfully. But then our Alice twitched her skirt again. She started forward. Katia led the way. Like two little stray cats, they followed across the courtyard to where the doll's house stood. There it is, said Kezia. There was a pause. Lil breathed loudly, almost snorting. Our house was still as a stone. I'll open it for you, said Kezia kindly. She undid the hook and they looked inside. There's the drawing room and the dining room, and that's the the Kezia! Oh! Start again. Kezia! It was Aunt Beryl's voice. They turned round. At the back door stood Aunt Beryl, staring as if she couldn't believe what she saw. How dare you ask the Calvies into the courtyard? said her cold, furious voice. You know as well as I do you're not allowed to talk to them. Run away, children. Run away at once. And don't come back again, said Aunt Beryl. And she stepped into the courtyard and shooed them out as if they were chickens. Off you go immediately, she called, cold and proud. They did not need telling twice. Burning with shame, shrinking together. Lil huddling along like her mother. Our house dazed. Somehow they crossed the big courtyard and squeezed through the white gate. Wicked, disobedient little girl, said Aunt Beryl bitterly to Kezia, and she slammed the doll's house too. The afternoon had been awful. A letter had come from Willie Brent, a terrifying, threatening letter, saying if she did not meet him that evening in Pullman's bush, he'd come to the front door and ask the reason why. But now that she had frightened those little rats of Calvies and given Kezia a good scolding, her heart felt lighter. That ghastly pressure was gone. She went back to the house, humming. When the Calvies were well out of sight of Ben Owls, they sat down to rest on a big red drain pipe by the side of the road. Lil's cheeks were still burning. She took off the hat with the quill and held it onto her knee. Dreamily, they looked over the high paddock, past the creek, to the group of wattles, where Logan's cows stood waiting to be milked. What were their thoughts? Presently, Alice nudged up close to her sister, but now she had forgotten the cross lady. She put out a finger and stroked her sister's quill. She smiled, her rare smile. I see the little lamp, she said softly. They both were silent and small.